South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program, very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Wednesday, January 18, 2023. Pope Francis expresses concern at the news of violent clashes in South Sudan. And leaders of the Catholic Church in South Sudan say preparations are in place to welcome religious leaders visiting the country next month. On behalf of the of the Bishop Conference of South Sudan and Sudan, we are ready to receive the Holy Father in Juba, South Sudan. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Pope Francis is set to travel to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan at the end of the month. A visit the pontiff had earlier been forced to postpone due to health issues. Still on the Pope's visit, church leaders in South Sudan say preparations are in place to welcome Pope Francis, Justin Willoughby, the Archbishop of the Canterbury, and the Moderator General of the Church of Scotland, Ian Greenshield, who are due to visit the country early next month. Officials are urging South Sudanese to remain peaceful as the country prepares to host the top church leaders. Charlton Doki reports from Juba. On behalf of the of the Bishop Conference of South Sudan and Sudan, we are ready to receive the Holy Father in Juba, South Sudan. We hope that his coming will be enriching us all as a church, but also as a nation. That's Archbishop Stephen Ameyu Martin Muller, the Metropolitan Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Juba and head of the Roman Catholic Church in South Sudan, addressing reporters in Juba today after emerging from a preparatory meeting for the visit of Pope Francis, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, Ian Greenshields. Archbishop Ameyo describes the papal visit on 3rd February through 5th as an ecumenical pilgrimage for peace, adding that South Sudanese have high expectations. Ameyo says many believe the visit will encourage the country's leaders to fully implement the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement and are looking forward to the prayer services. We have uh, tried to divide the committee's concern uh, in regard to the, the arrival and the ecumenical prayers that will be held uh, at the uh, John Gerenks Mausoleum and then with different uh, churches in, in Qatar and in All Saints Cathedral and in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, all these locations have been secured and uh, many of our committees have visited these places and so these, those places are ready for uh, the, the Holy Father. Archbishop Ameyu says he believes the Pope's long-awaited visit will enable South Sudanese from all walks of life to work towards restoring peace across the country. This uh, is uh, a kind of an opportunity for us uh, to get our minds together uh, and to bring uh, the people of South Sudan for peace, reconciliation and love of one another. I think the Holy Father's coming will enrich us in what I mentioned. And we pray 
that his uh, visit will be successful. On April 11, 2019, Pope Francis kissed the feet of South Sudan President Salva Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Machar during a two-day spiritual retreat at the Vatican, calling the event a pilgrimage for peace and urged the former rivals to put aside their differences and implement the peace deal. Speaking at today's news conference, Bishop Stephen Nyodoador Majok of Malakal Diocese, who is Archbishop Ameyu's deputy, called on the South Sudanese people to embrace peace as they prepare to receive the Pope. We also call uh, this juncture, call upon our people, the people of God in South Sudan, to prepare themselves spiritually to receive the Holy Father and also to work hard so that this uh, visit of the Holy Father together with the moderator of the Presbyterian Church and the Archbishop of Canterbury may be a point of transformation in our country, a point also coming together as people of God to see to it that things change in our life as a spiritual being and to work toward the reconciliation, toward the unity, and most of all, toward peace. Bishop Nyodo called on all South Sudanese to embrace the papal visit. He says the Catholic faithful are expected to come for pilgrimage from Rumbek, Tombura, Malakal, Bor, Torit, and Yei. Ameyu says preparations have been made to transport up to 2,000 internally displaced persons from Bor, Malakal, Wau, Bentiu, and Tombra to meet with Pope Francis in the South Sudanese capital. The Pope is also expected to meet with children and people living with disabilities. Francis was initially scheduled to visit South Sudan in July last year, but the Vatican announced the visit was cancelled because of the Pope's knee problems. For VOA News, I am Charlton Doki in Juba. Some South Sudanese civil society activists who attended the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington last month expressed setback over the absence of President Salva Kiir at the summit, despite being invited by U.S. President Joe Biden to attend the high-level event that brought 49 African leaders to Washington, D.C. Some South Sudanese activists who attended the summit had different agendas and views on how they want the Biden administration to engage South Sudan. Nabil Biagio reports from Washington. Executive Director of South Sudanese Community Empowerment for Progress Organization, Edmond Yakani, who came to Washington from Juba to attend the summit, says he did so for two reasons. One is to understand the position of U.S. government in relation with the government of South Sudan, which is government-to-government relationship. So that's one of my hopes. I want to understand and to gain knowledge about that. The second one, I was coming to also continue engaging the leadership of U.S. administration to still maintain their position of standing with the people of South Sudan, which does refer mainly to the humanitarian assistance and some of community-based projects that are run by several U.S. initiatives, like the recent 45 million point three which was declared by US government to empower youth economically and as you are aware that our youth are engaged in intercommunal violence which is deadly and in, in, inhumanly. During his participation in the civil society forum and other sideline events between December thirteenth and fifteenth Yakani says he received assurances from U.S. officials that the Biden administration would continue to support humanitarian operations in South Sudan as well as the country's civil society. But he says the U.S. is disappointed with the Kiir administration because of the ongoing violence in parts of the country and human rights violations. 
the continuous shrinking civic and political space in the country where freedom of expression, assembly, association, opinion is not respected. The state is so harsh on that in terms of censoring the media and having unlawful restriction and arrest for activists and journalists and politicians in terms of political space. That's one, one particular point. Secondly, lack of political commitment to deliver the country from the violence to peace in terms of political transition. And that's why they saw it very clear that the extension of the roadmap or the extension of the period, they don't stand for it. Yakani says the U.S. feels public consultation was missing when the government decided to postpone elections by another two years. He says the fact that Kier did not honor Biden's invitation to the summit was an opportunity missed, and he's urging South Sudanese leaders to improve bilateral relations with the United States. Texas-based South Sudanese opposition activist Tutriak Jikan speaks for a group of diaspora opposition activists who joined opposition activists from other African countries to stage a demonstration in Washington during the summit. We want them to, to seize any support of all these dictators and confront them because any um, aids that are, are given to them, they'll just use it to, to actually manipulate the situation uh, buy more weapons and, and actually suppress the people. Um, the, the only help we want is, is for the West is actually to stop supplying these leaders and stop uh, uh, actually uh, giving them opportunity to come to places like this. And it's disappointing to even see them in American soil. Uh, knowing that the human right violation they have committed. President Kier delegated his foreign affairs minister, Maik Ayideng, to represent his administration at the summit. Jikang says downgrading South Sudan's government representation at the summit was an insult to both South Sudanese and Biden administration officials. This is a slap in the face to the South Sudanese that are hoping for, for a better future. Uh, if Kier decided that he is not going to come, uh, then the, the Biden administration should have said, okay, no, if Kier cannot come here, uh, Mayika Yi uh, will not be welcome. So that was very disappointing. Jikang says the fact that Mr. Kier was invited in the first place is emblematic of the strong relationship the United States has with the people of South Sudan, despite what he calls the failings of its leaders. Despite the leadership that is causing a lot of the uh, disputes, the U.S. still have a, a heart for the people of South Sudan. And that was the reason to, to invite Kid and give him a, a, a last chance. Hey, um, we love your people. Your people have suffered. And the U.S. have actually spent billions of dollars in, 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 in ensuring that the citizens are, are in better uh, living conditions. The Kier administration did not explain why the president did not attend the summit. South Sudan in Focus made several attempts to interview Foreign Affairs Minister Maik Ayideng while in Washington, D.C. without success. Sudan, Burkina Faso, Mali and Guinea were not invited because the African Union has suspended them over unconstitutional changes in government. Eritrea was also excluded because the United States does not have diplomatic relations with the Horn of African Nation. For VOA News, I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, Somalis praise their government for tackling militants in the country. Find out why after the break. 
do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. Do you offer advice to your siblings? If so, what kind of advice? Yes, I advise my siblings. I tell them to be respectful to everybody, old and young alike. Yes, I advise my siblings. I tell them not to waste money, but to be careful in the way they handle money. I also tell them to give to people who are in need. Hard work always pays. And if you work hard, at the end you realize something that you didn't expect. So that's a single piece of advice that I will follow. I see, I always tell them to they work hard in school. Then, of course, they should be open in case they want anything or lack anything. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Mudu. The World Health Organization and U.S. Centers for Disease Control say coughing and sneezing can spread COVID-19. Physical distancing, staying at least one meter away from people outside your family, can protect everyone. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Somalis are hailing the capture of the port of Haradere, a major victory in the fight against the Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab. But analysts say it will be a challenge to hold on to Haradere and other territories seized from the militants while winning over locals. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Magdishu. The capture of Haradere is perhaps the single biggest trophy for the Somali army and clan militias who have been waging a ground offensive against the Shabab since July. At the height of piracy in Somalia in 2011, Haradere was the main operating port for pirates hijacking ships at seas for ransom. But it was seized by a Shabab, which has used it since then to generate revenue by taxing imported goods. Somali Defense Minister Abdikatir Noor lauded the capture of Haradere, which adds to a growing list of towns and villages falling into government hands. He said, we want to thank all armed forces, particularly Somali army, which made it possible to dislodge the enemy from two districts, which are Galaat and Haradere districts. Shoki Hayir. A lecturer at Simat University and a conflict researcher told viewers the capture of Haradere was a significant step for the military campaign, which has been running for close to eight months. He said it's a historic victory achieved by Somali and the local forces. It is a victory that boosts the morale of the troops and a significant achievement registered by the government led by Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, and this will speed up operation to liberate the country. 
Despite this series of victories by Somali army, Ayer says the government will need to build the confidence of local communities and quickly establish a presence to ensure these newly liberated areas do not fall back into Ashabab Handis. He said it is good for the top government leaders to visit the liberated areas urgently to boost the morale of the locals and engage with them as the areas were under Ashabab control for a long time. He said it's also important for the armed forces and local militias to establish bases in the liberated areas to avoid the loss of those areas once again. Ahmed Hadi, the director of Somali Civic House, a policy and governance think tank in Mogadishu, says the capture of Haradere is not only a victory for the military, but for the locals. He said the capture of Haradere is an important move as it is part of plan to decentralize the administration. The town is also crucial for the movement of people and goods because those areas had been locked off from the rest of the country for a long time. Hadi also said the government will need to be ready for possible local conflicts over resources. Last year, President Mahmoud declared all-out war against Al-Shabaab, which has been fighting Somali government for the past 15 years. The government says it's also waging financial warfare against the group. President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud told a gathering in Mogadishu last week that the government has closed 250 bank accounts and seven mobile money accounts suspected to be linked to Al-Shabaab. This move, he said, is denying the militant group money to fund its operations. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News. Mugadishu, Somalia. From Somalia, we move to Ethiopia, where the Chief Justice of Ethiopia and her deputy resigned Tuesday. News reports say Parliament named their replacements. The media did not say what led to the resignations. However, political analyst tells VOA's James Batty they might be due to disagreement with Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed over the power of the police. This is... Uh very troublesome in a way because in Abiy's uh, ascension to power, he paraded the Azza Shinifo as the first female Supreme Court judge, sign of his big change, liberalization and also equity and what have you. I think for her to resign, eh, is showing that his agenda is being a traitor, you know, thwarted from what he said initially in 2018. And number two, the both the judges see that. Uh, the courts don't have the power that they are entrusted to have, as opposed to the police and the military, which are doing extrajudicial arrests, mainly in the Ababa. So this is a dissatisfaction on their part and shows that they are no longer happy with what the government of Abiy is doing. So you are saying the Ethiopian Supreme Court is not as powerful as police? They are not. And that is where their uh, dissatisfaction is coming from. They have been watching and seeing arbitrary arrests of political leaders and dissidents and also regular citizens who are being arrested without uh, corpus most of the time. And they try several times behind the scene to register their indignance about the extra hand military and police forces, particularly in the area of Addis Ababa, are doing and to no avail. So this is the highest level of uh, showing disappointment, dissatisfaction. They don't want to be party to a system that is contrary 
the judicial system that they have uh, voted to support and upheld. I mean, I'm reading a line that says that uh, the deputy, Solomon, was recently appointed as uh, a halftime judge of the United Nations Dispute Tribunal. Is it possible that perhaps he's given way to take this new position? No, I think that he would not do that without having uh, permission from his uh, superiors, and that would be the other host of the Supreme you know, Judge. I don't think he would be able to do that without consulting the, the legal, as you heard that article, he's a legal giant from the point of view of that article. But I think Ethiopia has been having uh, also ethnic problems, and I assume both uh, Meaza and Solomon could be disappointed and dissatisfied with the politics that's taking place in the country in general, where large numbers of Amharas have initially supported Prime Minister Abiy, and now they are gravitating to the opposite side of his political agenda. And uh, that could also be behind the scene. But I think the way that they are expressing their uh, reason for why they are designing is because they say that there is extrajudicial power, police and military That's political analyst Faisal Abdi Robley speaking with viewers James Batty about the resignations. Schools have reopened Tuesday in Malawi's two biggest cities of Lilongwe and Blantyre after a two-week suspension caused by cholera outbreak. The bacterial infection has killed close to 800 people, more than 100 of them children, and affected more than 25,000. Malawi's government announced measures to prevent cholera from spreading in schools, but warned it will shut down schools again if needed. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. There was excitement among learners in schools in Malawi, which reopened Tuesday after the government shut them down because of cholera outbreak. To many students, especially those who are preparing to sit for national examinations this year, the closure doomed their hope of passing the exams. Ron Rutepo is a teenage student at Michiru View Secondary School in Blanta. He says returning to the school is the best thing he hoped for. Yes, I thought at home my mom was telling me to study, but being an ex- examination class, it affected me badly because we're always supposed to be here and ready for the exams. But if we're not ready, we won't get good grades. The reopening comes after the government announced that it has put in place preventive measures against the spread of cholera which is transmitted mainly through dirty water. These include fixing broken boreholes and water taps in the schools and burning the sale of cooked food around school premises. Malawi is battling its waste cholera outbreak in a decade. Government statistics show that as of Monday, it had registered 25,458 cases since the start of the outbreak last March with 550 cases reported on Monday alone. The disease has so far killed more than 800 people with around 1,000 hospitalizations as of Tuesday. Justin Rice-Piri is the deputy head teacher at Michiru View Secondary School. He told VOA that the school has put in place measures to prevent learners 
from contracting the disease. At the same time, our support staff, the cleaners, the cooks, have been trained on how best to you know, prevent the cholera. And we've also given them the protective, protective wear, the gloves, you know, and um, the work suits and the like. The UNIS Children Agency, UNICEF, started distributing anti-cholera supplies in schools in areas most affected by the outbreak. Government authorities, however, have warned that they may close the schools again should the outbreak spread among students at an unmanageable level. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this program, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Emmanuel Kembe and the song Celebrate.
Listening to Emmanuel Kembe and the song Celebrate. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.